How would you like to grow your business the easy way, and in my humble opinion, the fun way, through speaking? Yes, you can literally speak your way to more business, and we can show you how. You know, when I started my coaching business 15 years ago, I struggled making only $900 in the first two years. Yeah, you heard that right. Less than $1,000 in two years. The problem? I was busy running around to networking events and handing out business cards, trying to help everyone, you know, everyone. Then I took the stage for the first time in my life and began speaking and teaching about the strategies I coached on. And when I really got my message dialed in, my business went literally from three figures a year (laughs) to seven figures. The secret I finally realized is that when you take the stage, you instantly become seen as the leading voice in your niche or industry. Today, we show entrepreneurs just like you and just like I was how to dominate your niche by becoming the leading voice, not just another expert. We run an incredible business mastermind speaker training program. It's called The Leading Voice. You guessed it. If you head over to leadingvoiceplatform.com slash podcast and grab my free roadmap, Eight Pillars to Profitable Speaking. This free roadmap outlines the exact eight secret weapons you need to truly become the leading voice in your niche. This is exclusively for my podcast listeners. You go to leadingvoiceplatform.com slash podcast and start speaking your way to more business. Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, this episode is brought to you by my very own NLP practitioner course. I've been teaching neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP, for nearly 15 years, It is the most powerful tool for communication on the planet, and it can be yours today. For a very limited time, I'm giving away my entire NLP course workbook for free. Go to nlpwithmatt.com. All the patterns, all the tools, and the techniques of NLP in the complete course workbook, the same one that we use to teach our live certification classes, yours free nlpwithmatt.com. Get it today. Let's get back to the show. What's up? Welcome back to The Driven Entrepreneur. It's Matt Browning and it's another Friday. It's another beautiful, beautiful Friday. And, you know, the world is just becoming better in my opinion, in my estimation. Uh, Things have been opening up. We are feeling great by as we come to this part of 2020 here. And if you're running a business or you're thinking about running a business, well, there's no better thing to get in training than entrepreneur training. That's, of course, what we're doing the Driven Entrepreneur. So entrepreneur training, I have today one of, I think, the best examples of someone who's going to give us some entrepreneur training. Um, what better person than someone who has started more than 20 companies over the last two and a half decades? I'm talking about Sean Castrina. He's a best-selling author of The Eight Unbreakable Rules for Business Startup Success. He also created a really cool book, uh, The Fictional Tale, The Greatest Entrepreneur in the World. He's an active entrepreneur, of course, a CEO. He's been in the game for a long, long time, lectures on entrepreneurship at many of the, uh, the world's greatest colleges. 
And he hosts one of the top business podcasts on iTunes, The 10 Minute Entrepreneur. So who could we not have on The Driven Entrepreneur, but The 10 Minute Entrepreneur, Mr. Sean Castrina. Are you there, my friend? I'm here. And the only reason why it's 10 minutes is because I have the attention span of a flea. Hey, you know, I call that entrepreneur disease. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like it. Yeah, I have a very short attention span. So 10 minutes seemed like the ideal fit. Hey, Sean, how, how old were you when you started your first business? You're a guy that's been in this game for, you know, two and a half decades. Are you one of these like early bubblegum entrepreneurs or was this later on in life from a different track? Tell me a little bit about your origins. Well, it's fine. You know, I mean, I started, started a, a, a sports camp when I got out of college. But the first when I really got into it, I got laid off from my dream job. I was... I had absolutely like the perfect job, just got married, just bought a house, just had a baby. I had all the just everything's perfect as, as my phone falls there. I had everything lined up perfect and then they had a change of leadership and they restaffed it like literally overnight with people that the new leader felt comfortable with and, you know, then you're unemployed. So, you, you know, uh, it's like 26 and um, you just got to you know, start back over. I knew then I would never work for anybody again in that I would do it short term to get something going. Uh, but I was going to own my own company. I would never be dependent on another person. I, I knew it, you know, when I was getting let go, I literally my everything slowed down and I came to that aha moment. And then from there on, it's been, you know, rinse and repeat. So the, the, the real first reason, and this is an interesting question to me is the, the value and reason why someone starts a business. And when I ask crowds, uh, usually people say something like money or success or give back. But the number one answer I always give is freedom, some version of freedom. And that's exactly what you're telling me. It's never money with true entrepreneurs. It's never money. So My what is money it for you? Is so rarely. So the first like thing, the, the first motivation for you then was, you know, being able to say, hey, I'm not going to be held captive by a boss and what they want. What else was it about you when you kind of got into the nitty gritty when you started your first business? And then I want, I'd love to hear about what the first business really, really was after that camp. Um, but what was it that was driving you to do that outside of, I'm not going to answer to someone else? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is it's not really a room. Like people say, Sean, would you ever be an employee again? Yeah, I would. I wouldn't mind being the commissioner of the NFL. You know, he gets paid about $49 million a year and he has free lifetime jet service and health insurance. I mean, I might sell all my companies to take over that job. The point is, I would, I'm not against being an employee if it was based on absolutely the right situation. But it would be really hard for me to find that situation. As an entrepreneur, I can create my ideal situation. I can create, you know, the team that I want to work with every day. I can create some flexibility in the amount of money I want to make. In other words, I can delegate a certain amount of my job and lower my income, but also lower my time commitment, whatever the case may be, or I can be really aggressive and do more. I just have complete control over so many things that I would never have as an, as an employee unless I was the CEO. And, and that's typically not your starting job. Yeah. You, you don't quite grow up and say, I want to get into CEO and let's figure that out. But I, I love that proposition, you know, that, that you, can, you can really manage and change the balance and be in control. Because, you know, I always thought about, oh, of course, you're going to be in control of your destiny. But to decide, you know, I want to make a little more money. I'm going to give up a little bit of time or freedom to train someone or, or, or I'm going to delegate out a little bit and I'm going to give up some uh, income right? or I'm going to add more expense, but that's going to add back time to me. What do you is the most valuable aspect of lifestyle when you're running a business or multiple businesses? Is it the free time? Is it family? Is it building something worthwhile legacy? You know, and I think the answer is all those things, but what is it for you? 
Yeah, for me, th- this is a quote that I share with everybody. Every business I have, I have a key partner in every one of my businesses. And, and my philosophy has always been, I'd rather make 50% of a lot than make 100% of a little. I'd rather make 50% of something where I didn't have to work nonstop than make 100% of something where I had to work nonstop. So my philosophy is, is that partnerships typically grow businesses faster, bigger anyway. Um, if you look at endless startups, there was a partnership. I mean, Microsoft, Apple, you can you know keep going down the line. So with that being said, when you bring on a partner and I'm willing to share profit very generously, it, it, I don't have to be there every second of every day. So I've never missed a school function that I ever wanted to attend to. I mean, there's a recital occasionally I backed out of for work reasons, but I really didn't have to back out of it. But 99 out of 100 events that my children were involved in, I was there. I was able to attend and my income didn't drop you know, dramatically because I chose that. Um, you know, so I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, I, I just want to have, con- I'm a control freak. I don't want anybody telling me what I got to do every day, when I got to do it and how I got to do it. And entrepreneurship is the only thing that eliminates all that. I, you know, I do pretty much what I want, what I'm really gifted at. I work when I want, I, I blueprint my day. And, and then where I don't want to be involved in certain things, I hire and I staff or I partner. And of course, I have to give up a degree of profit to do that. But I'm smart enough to know that a team will always do better than any solopreneur. What types of industries and businesses have you been involved in and which ones are your favorite to do? Or for you, is business business and it almost doesn't matter what the industry is? You know, industry doesn't really matter to me. What I do love, because I've had a taste in, in a lot of different things. I've had a retail business and I didn't like it. You have too much dead money in retail. For one, you know, even when it was good, too much dead money, you have inventory, you have retail space. So you have a fixed, you know, rent that you're locked into forever. And then you have to staff it and you got to staff it during a certain amount of hours. Retail, I'd never liked. And the second I got into it, I was a partner in it. I just didn't like it. Um, What, you know, I like service companies as a general rule because robots can't replace, nobody's good. They can't, to this point, if they do this, we got bigger issues. Um, they're not going to send a robot to your house to be able to assess whether you have a leak in your roof. Like the, the robot doesn't have that kind of capability. And if they do, we, again, we got bigger issues. So the point is, is that services, whether it's fixing your car, assessing what's wrong with it, crawling underneath your car, you know, taking off the tire, putting on whatever it is in service, I can list from, you know, whether it's furniture repair, whether it's, you know, I got people getting ready to start cleaning my house. You know, I had somebody just mow my lawn and do landscaping just a few minutes ago. I love service companies because there's no dead money. There's no inventory. And when I pay one of my workers to, when one of my workers is getting paid, I'm getting paid. There's always a ratio. So there's just never any dead money. And I've made, a, when I say I've made, a, I've made a lot, a lot, a lot of money in, uh, in home service companies. Like, like so home service companies. So landscaping, my cleaning, things like that are great. I like high margin ones. I don't like landscaping. That's why I have somebody who landscapes. I don't like house cleaning. Margins are too low. I like, I like stuff from, you know, a handyman at the least, like, cause we charge 95 an hour for a company I own to like installing ceramic tile at $120 an hour, plumbing at 120 electrical 120. So I like things between night, you know, I like to make between 95 an hour and as much as 195, like if we're working on a ladder, because even if I'm paying a really an employee really good money and I don't sub it out, I do I use employees and I love employing people. That nothing gives me greater satisfaction. But 
high end, I'm paying somebody $35 an hour. So I have a three to one ratio. So every time a van leaves my parking lot, one of my companies, and I have an individual on it, I'm making three to one every hour that van's out there, every day. Every hour. And that's just the, the hourly rate for the employee. And is that, exactly. is that the full gross rate you're talking no, about? No, no, no. It's, you know, it's, I, I obviously have office staff and, and we, we aggressively market, but this is what I tell you. There's nothing that has a three to, I mean, a three to one margin in anything is good business. Yeah. You look at, if you have a restaurant or something just to take away the food cost and just so everyone kind of has an example, if you're doing plumbing, the pay for the hourly rate for your plumber is sort of similar in that cost of goods sold for if you had a taco shop, the cost of the taco ingredients themselves. But that's going to be such, I mean, what you talk 85% sometimes, you know, such a much lower margin. You have to have a nice location so that you can get traffic where if you own, if you have a plumbing business, you don't have to be anywhere. You could literally be, you know, you could tech, you'd be running out of the basement of your home and have four plumbers working for you. Um, if you read the, the book, the millionaire, you know, the millionaire next door and the millionaire mind, it service companies were the wealthy, it had the highest net worth for incomes of any of their, anybody that he surveyed because doctors had extremely expensive lifestyles. They lived in gated communities, sent their kids to private schools. And they found that it was the gentleman or the lady who owned a, a service company, you know, making $250,000 a year, living in a modest house, not sending their kids to private school. But, you know, raking in 250 like clockwork, didn't have the massive student loans, you know, didn't get out of debt until they were 40. And, you know, they were the ones that had just tremendous net worth. So I have kind of followed that model. But instead of having like one of those companies, I have eight of them. And, um, and, and I, you know, do real well. That's outstanding. You know, I, it's funny, you threw out that quarter million dollar a year number. And I think when there's a funny conversation about how much is a lot and how much is a little. And I think very often people, drastically overstate what they think they should do in business. Like, oh, I need to be making seven figures, eight figures. And then, but personal life truly, you know, unless we're talking about a lot of investment properties and different things like that, it's hard to spend 250 a year. That's you know, a little more than 20 grand a month. It's really hard for an individual family or an individual to spend 20,000 a month just on personal. That is such a, a huge personal amount of income that man, like, it's amazing how you don't have to work as hard as you think you do. Yeah, you can have a million dollar mortgage. I mean, let's just do the real quick math. You could have a million dollar mortgage at current rates. And let's say you'd be paying $6,000 a month. So let's throw property tax in it. So, so literally, if you did good math, which would be your housing at one third your expenses, okay, and you were making $20,000 a month, you could live in a million dollar home, making a quarter of a million dollars a year. And still have a modest budget. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I, I always say sometimes we can get in the really stupid money and, and, and I've made, you know, sometimes like where I'm shocked, but I, but it's never how much money you make. It's how much money you spend. And, um, you know, I've always been fairly smart with, with that end of it. And, um, I just like solid businesses. Like it, listen, it's, we're in a pandemic. I have not cut anything. My lifestyle has not shrunk one inch, one ounce, nothing. In other words, my businesses are still rolling at about 75% and I've never lived on hundred percent of whatever our company's made. So yeah, we've had the, you know, we adjusted a few things that we've done, but there's been no major disassembly. But you didn't have to close down offices. You didn't have to furlough everyone. Nothing. And do you, do you say, so do you feel like mostly that's because again, you're in service business. So even during pandemics or during, uh, a recession or, or an increased market, people are always going to need a plumber. People are always going to need a roof fixed, right? 
Things break every things break in their house every day. A light stops working, a roof starts leaking, a door needs to be installed, or it's whatever the case may be. They want to up they've been they're trapped in their house. They hate how it looks. So hey, why don't you guys go work on our master bathroom? We'll just leave you alone for the next two weeks and let us do it. Or, you know, oh, you know, build me a screen porch so we can get outside. Or it the phone rings off the hook for our business. And um, I mean, we spent 20 years building the brand and it's very recognizable and, and, and where we live, we do Super Bowl ads regionally. So, I mean, I, I have fed that monster, but I've reaped that during this pandemic because our phone still rings, you know, we were 15,000 repeat customers and over eight companies and the phone rings off. Oh. That's incredible. Well, so again, we're talking service and mostly contractor type work. Do you ever get into like general contracting in <laughs> if someone says, Hey, I want an addition to my house or I want a new build. Yeah. Yeah. We do everything. I've built, I've built $2 million houses and whatever the case may be, I, but I like it from A to Z. I want all your, I want everything you can spend on your house that doesn't aggravate me. I, I, we're happy to install your mailbox for, you know, a one or one hour minimum of $125 or we'll build you the house if you want and just give us 18% above cost. And we'll, we'll consult and, and handle that. We don't, I don't care from A to Z. I want, you know, I, I think like Pablo Escobar, I want it all. Okay? I, want I, mean, it all. I want a client who is in love with our company and they know that we are the best home improvement experience they could possibly experience. That is our fundamental goal to give you the best experience you could possibly have. And, and it's just constantly expanded because we would do one thing and they go, oh, God, I wish you guys could do our siding. You guys were so great to work with. So then I'd go find a partner who knew everything about siding. And he'd run the siding division. So I basically franchised this, this one company and other companies, this one company kind of from the inside out. I don't know how, listen, I couldn't assemble a three piece birdhouse and I couldn't tell you the difference between two screwdrivers. And I have one toolbox in my house that I got when I got married and it's made of plastic. I do not know anything about construction. Okay. I couldn't build you anything, but I know how the pieces on the, on the chessboard need to function and where they need to go. What a great concept. So I was going to ask you, and I still want to, your take on specialty versus generalist. And it sounds like as a brand, you're almost, you're like, Hey, we want to be that generalist that people know they can come to us for everything. But as far as the business, you actually have individual specialists and almost individual companies within it in a way. Could you comment on, on how you approach that? Well, the idea is this, okay, we first started with a handyman company. Just, I couldn't get, I, I, had a, I owned a magazine. It was in 23 cities, it was a direct mail magazine. And I was trying to convert my dining room into a home office because I could work from home and we just had our second job, it made sense to me. It was like trying to find a one-eyed leprechaun to do the work. They'd either show up and not finish and it was, just, it was literally like watching the Three Stooges work. And so I was with my buddy that day and I go, this is crazy. I go, I need to start a handyman company. And he, of course, came back, Sean, you can't do any, you're, you know, like I helped you one day do landscaping. We literally used your spoon to dig up plants. Um, you, you, you know, how are you going to do this? And I said, no, but I know how to make a phone ring. I know marketing. So I launched the company within six weeks. We had 54 phone calls in one week and I knew I'd hit the Holy Grail. And I knew how the company had to run. I understood the ex. I knew that I had a horrible experience. So I'm like, okay, what if they called the office and we didn't have them go to like a voicemail? They didn't speak with an answering service. They actually spoke with somebody knowledgeable. And when you called, we'd answer your questions. We'd schedule your free estimate. We'd send somebody knowledgeable to your house. So I was like, okay, we're not going to hire anybody with less than 15 years experience. So typically the person would be close to 40. We want somebody experienced. 
And when we start your job, we won't stop until we're finished. In other words, we're not going to go some, we're not going to start your job on Monday, leave it on Tuesday, come back on Wednesday. When we start your job, we stay there until we're done. And then when we're done with your job, we're going to send you a survey to see if we met your expectation, whether you refer us to a friend or use us again. Simple four question survey. Well, let me just tell you, I, that was a really good idea because about $50 million later, and I'm sitting in about a 9,000 square foot house with a guest house, and it's in the middle of the day and I'm not working. All those companies, that, that handyman company then went to a painting company. So I bought a painter, I bought a painting company. So you bought a painting company. Can we talk about that for just a second? Yes, yeah, great. He was, he was in my magazine. This is a great story because I just talked to him like three days ago. He's actually doing an, an, a, a video for me for a course I'm creating. I'm partnering. So it was funny. He was in my magazine. He was one of my advertisers in my direct mail magazine. But he didn't have to run a business in fairness. He understood pain. Typical person who understood his industry but didn't know anything about business. So I said, listen, let, let, you know, he kept talking about moving to Florida and all this. And he asked me if I wanted to buy his company. So I bought it. So before he moved, I went to his house the next day with he and his wife. Kurt, super nice guy. I said, Kurt, I want you to be my business partner. I said, I'm going to give you back 49% of your company. I'll pay you the salary you were making. And you can run my painting and handyman division. See, I knew I didn't know anything about handyman or anything like that. And I knew I wasn't going to be in the office. It was growing fast. So I knew I needed to put somebody with some expertise in that office and quick so that I had a second set of eyes. So within six months, I knew I needed to add somebody. So I bought his company. The next day, I talked him into being my partner. I mean, 20 years later, we're great friends. He was my partner for like 14 years. And then he eventually moved to Florida. Um, but that was, so then I had a handyman in painting and then we added a, a remodeling division. Then I found, you know, I had a, just a little example. I had a guy who runs the um, kitchen, kitchen, uh, which is a design center for our local um, home improvement store. The biggest, well, it's really big. It's privately owned. You know, they do all the new construction. I mean, very big, very well known. I went in there one day and he said, I just want to tell you, Sean, I'm, um, Friday will be my last day. And he's a guy in his mid fifties. I'm like, and he goes, you know, I've done pretty well, made some investments. He goes, but I'm just kind of done with it all. I said, well, great. I said, Charles, why don't we go to lunch on Friday? Sure, we went to lunch. Well, neither say, you know, 10 years later, Charles is one of my business partners. He's like two weeks on, two weeks off. I tell him, just do a kitchen, go on vacation. Do a kitchen, go on vacation. I mean, we do about, uh, you know, $700,000, you know, with a very nice margin, as you can imagine. And so he runs my kitchen division. Then I wanted to, I, I wanted a person to run my decking division. So I go find somebody, I, I, my, my rep for Sherwin-Williams, he understands all the painting and staining that you could possibly use on decks. I bring him as a partner. So I, I just, I'm always looking for who I think would be the most talented people. And then when I find the right partner, then I know I, I can add a division. I don't, I try not to do it in reverse. I find the person. I recruit them. I always say my, my, my superpower is identifying talent, recruiting it and retaining it. Let's actually get into a little bit about talent recruiting. I think this is a critical conversation that yeah. everyone from a solopreneur on up needs to have. So what I heard you say, Sean, is that you're, you're looking for the person before the seat, essentially before the division. Absolutely. So, and even if you're thinking like, you might be thinking, Hey, I want to, you know, people have asked for decks. I want to open a decking division, but if you don't have a decking guy, forget it. You're not doing it yet. You got to find the right person. I've sat on ideas for three years until I got the right person. And okay. there's ideas that I know are still profitable that I haven't gone forward with because I still haven't found the person. What's going to happen if you decide to start a decking division and you don't have the decking guy 
tell me a little bit about kind of the pitfalls or the nightmare or, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly of not having the right person first. Well, A, you don't have any expertise, so you have to personally have it because what do you do when a customer asks you, well, what, what would be the best stain to put on a mahogany? Okay, every wood's kind of different. I don't, I didn't know that, but because I have a partner in it, I do know that now. Um, so if you don't have expertise, somebody's got to have it. And if it's an employee, then you're, you're, you're dead, you're a dead man walking. That employee's got you trapped. He, you know how much leverage an employee has all the expertise in your business has? all the leverage in the world. Right. Cause if they walk, your business is dead in the water. Exactly. So I partner with people. I do very generous 50, 50 profit splits. They don't have to come to the table with any money and they already know I know how to build a business. So I, I do have a reputation for knowing what the heck I'm doing. So they know they're going to make 50% of a lot instead of a hundred percent of a load. Cause everybody goes, well, why don't they just do it themselves? Listen, I have a unique set of skills and, and they don't have those skills. So th they're smart enough to know that, hey, I'd rather partner with Sean than try to do this myself. Really, really good. And that was my second part is, you know, because I've, I've looked for the partners over the years. And I think a lot of us entrepreneurs are thinking, man, I'd love to have, I'd love to have a partner who can do like, maybe I'm the CEO type and I'm going to vision and create this or market. And I'd love to have an operations guy, someone who's going to be able to run the day to day. But finding that is a little bit, like you said, that one-eyed leprechaun. So outside of looking for someone who's a very talented painter, deck stainer, whatever the case may be, yeah. industry aside, content aside, what yeah. are some traits that you look for? And maybe do you use like strengths finders, Gallup? Do you use anything like that? Do you use your gut? Tell me a little bit about the personality side. Gut helps a little bit, but this is what I look for. Simple example. I own like, I just want you to understand I own home improvements, but I also own like own the magazine, 23 cities. I own a, probably the most successful digital marketing company in our area as well. So it, again, I want you to understand I can recruit, recruit partners from A to Z. The industry is irrelevant. I just want to kind of establish that. So when, when you're trying to, you know, when you're trying to get partners, you just have this, I always say, would I leave that person with all my money? Would I trust that person with my bank account? Would I trust that person to watch my, you know, if I, you know, would I trust that person in my home? Would I, would I send my kids to their house for the weekend? It has to, I have to have that kind of, I've taken people to dinner with my wife and I felt all good about it. And then at the end of dinner, we were talking on the way home and we, you know, she'll ask a few questions and we're just like, no, nah, I, I didn't get that feeling. Or I'll, I think I have a partner. I'll go play around a golf with him. He's dropping F-bombs and cheating. And, you know, I, I don't care. Like cursing doesn't, Whatever, but when I'm, when I realize I got a person who's got the self discipline of a toddler, and if he would cheat in golf, well, you know, I mean, you're not, I don't want you as a business partner. So, you know, I, I so I, I put you in little situations during the, the, um, where I'm looking at you to see if you have the, you can't fix integrity and you can't give energy and you can't fake stupid. Let me, let me go with that again. Okay. You can't give a person integrity. A thief will be a thief. A liar will be a liar. You cannot fix that. Second, you can't give energy. Nothing is worse than a partner who's lazy with no energy. You can't fix that. And you can't fix stupid. I can't explain it to you, but when I have a smart partner, they can solve a lot of problems across a variety of issues. So I look for, again, smart, Energy, it doesn't mean they're jumping all over the place. They're focused. When they're on something, they're on it. And, and I want somebody that I trust. Every one of my business partners can write a check any single day. Now, obviously, I've got a lot of little 
guards in place and I would know about it fairly quick from my accountant. But the point is they could write a check. They could technically rip me off. It wouldn't be impossible. So I have to recruit people. I don't want to be looking over their shoulder every day. I have not looked at one of my business partner's accounts personally. I have not had any one of their accounts audited in the last year. Don't get me wrong. I have a CPA who guards all my money, who sends me a report every night between in the morning between 4.30 and 5 a.m. a spreadsheet, and she would put an asterisk next to it if there was a problem. But, but I've never, and she's never one time brought something to my attention that I've had to. So I try to go into it with quality people with great energy and that are smart. I think that's such a, I mean, talk about an intelligent thing, right? You know, I can't tell you how many times uh, some kind of uh, an entrepreneur business owner has said, well, I don't want to get a partner because, and they tell me the story, right? Of the one time they tried it and how someone ripped them off and how they'll never trust anyone again and all that kind of thing. But a lot of, you know, an ounce of prevention prevents, <laughs> right? Yeah. A pound of uh, misfortune, whatever the saying is. Um, I love all three of those. So again, integrity intelligence, and energy. Those are the three things you're looking for in a person. Those are things you cannot teach. However, you can teach certain business practices or like a sales script or whatever. Exactly. You can teach systems and things of that nature. And I do take my partners through, you know, some basic management things that I think are good and some customer service things, but, but they got to come 75% ready. You know, I always say, I just need to add, I only want to have to add water. <laughs> I love it. They, they got to have everything. I just need to add water. And then we run with this thing. Well, Sean, I know you, with, with all your experience in business, you've, uh, you've created something recently, which is really cool. Your brand new book, uh, World's Greatest Business Plan. Certainly, you know, a thing or two about business plans. We haven't talked about plans specifically. I really, I love that we focused on partners and expanding and trust and so forth. Um, when it comes to having a great business plan, uh, I know that, during 2020, you've decided uh, because of the events earlier in the year that you wanted to take your brand new book and give it away as a gift. Where do we find that? And tell me a little bit more about the business, the world's greatest business plan. Yeah, we'll make it really simple. If you go to my site, seancastorina.com, it's right there. It'll be right at the top. You just, they'll send you, they'll send you, uh, which I'm call it a, a PDF, not a PDF, sorry, a digital version, which is the best version anyway, because you can actually type out your business plan. We don't even give out the digital version of the of it in our book until like a bunch of pages in because it's it's truly the best version because most business plans need to be typed. So the world's greatest business plan book is different in that way. Unlike a book that you typically read, this has tons of questions that you have to ask yourself. You know, you go, I take you through the 25 questions that I've been using for over 20 years in vetting businesses. Because I, the simple thing you want to have at the end of a business plan book, and I, I bought every single book on Amazon. I have them right to the left of me. I read, they're horrible. One after the another is horrible. They're 350 pages. They make no sense. They talk about like a financial forecast, like what your company's going to make, and then they reverse engineer the, the business succeeding. Think about this for a second. When you read a business plan book, they act like it's already going to succeed. And how do they do that? They put this, they have you do a financial forecast with your business succeeding. Well, that's a picking fantasy. You have no idea what your business is going to make. So my business plan is unique in that you may get seven questions into my book and, and, and go, hey, this isn't a good idea. And if I accomplish that, I am, as, I am just as satisfied as if I got you to start a business. So instead of you wasting your money, if my book can make you go, wow, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's not ready. It's just, no, I'm not ready yet. Okay, we achieved. 
this is just like having a, having a relationship course when you're dating, you know, before marriage, it's like, Hey, whether you decide, yes, let's move forward. This is the right thing. Or you decide let's not move forward because this was never right in the first place. That is a big success. Really cool. And that's how I feel about this book. I really feel like I'm, I'm as, I'm as happy about the people that I got to pause maybe didn't go forward with it or did more due diligence or did things just dramatically improved it as I am about the person who, again, the rest of these books that I read, they make the general assumption that your idea will succeed and they reverse engineer the business plan around it succeeding. And they do that by you doing a financial forecast of completely imaginary numbers that has your business succeeding. I have your business making zero, making not a penny. You know why? Because that's the only number I can guarantee you from day one. And, and so we, we look at it a little differently. And, and, and so I, I just believe a business is either going to succeed fast or it's not going to succeed at all. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, so I just go out about, I go about it a little differently. Um, I, again, I call this the business plan that you use if, if you, if you can't afford to fail, like this business plan just it will absolutely root out a bad idea and it will absolutely have you going into a business lean and very, you know, much more prepared. Well, Sean, it sounds like that business plan is the best plan you could have. So guys, you can get Sean's book, the world's greatest business plan, brand new book for 2020. And right now it is free, completely and totally free. You can get it on Amazon for almost $20. We can get it free. If you go to Sean, that's S E A N castrina.com. We'll have that in the show notes if you get the show on demand. Uh, Sean, thank you so much for coming on, man. It was a great conversation. Get it, great to get to know you. I'm certainly inspired. I feel like I'm, I'm a few businesses behind now. So thanks for the uh, motivation, bud. Great. I appreciate being a guest. Thanks, Sean. All right, guys, that's the show for this week, man. I'm Matt Browning. We're the Driven Entrepreneur. Get out there, stay driven. Make sure you follow me. Subscribe if you haven't already on demand. You can, if you're listening to this on the radio, you can get this on everywhere where you get podcasts. The Driven Entrepreneur, hundreds of back episodes. Go check them out. You don't want to miss a thing with awesome guests, just like my guest this week, Sean Castrina at seancastrina.com. Follow me at Matt Browning on all social media to get pictures of entrepreneurial things and my family and planes and all that kind of stuff that you like to follow on Instagram, wherever you go, get your social. I'm there. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.